0: So, hey, today we're in Hebrews. Uh, We're going to be in Hebrews for a while. And so, if you're like, I don't even know what I should read in the Bible these days, just read Hebrews. Hebrews is wonderful. It's 13 chapters, so much around the person Jesus, which is why we entitled the series, Jesus is Better, because what we're going to see is he's just better. He's better than the old covenant, he's better than the sacrificial system, he's better than the prophet, Moses and just life itself. So we're just going to emphasize that throughout this whole series, that Jesus is better. Somebody. Amen. And sometimes I wish I was in a church that people just talk back to you all the time. Somebody, come on. Get it. Yes, yes. <laughs> uh, but that's okay. we just chilling. Uh, today, Clark is opening up, and then I'm going to come up after Clark. And we are so honored to have Clark, because, you know, Clark is a teacher, and you'll feel that when he starts teaching, like a gift of teaching is on this man's life. So can we welcome Clark up? This church has perfected the golf clap. I mean, it's like, it's solid. It's just like, wow, great job.
1: (laughs) Well, it's funny, because when I first started coming, we were very, very tame. And I remember back then, too, it was like, man, you know, we used to be a lot more rowdy, and nowadays, especially, it's like, it's very quiet here. You'll make, like, the best joke in the world, and everyone's just like, and that's all you get. <laughs> um, but yes, hi, my name's Clark. I think I am supposed to turn this speaker off, so I don't uh, feed back to you guys. Um, and yes, we are going to be continuing through Hebrews, and before we get started, there is a really important takeaway in this book that... Um, Mike touched on last week, Jason touched on the Sundays before, and it's, if there's nothing else that you don't get from this book, um, as we go through this and as we go through this series and you come with us on this journey, um, is that Hebrews, it has this really rich prophetic, um, message, this prophetic inclination. Later in chapters, it talks about how everything that has been in the Old Testament, everything that is now is a shadow of what's to come, right? And so it's a shadow of the better things that are in heaven. And one thing that we have found, which it really just comes down to even the very title of the book, is that we get to be encouraged by the good news that there is coffee in heaven. Why? Because Hebrews. All right, I'm the third person to tell you this joke, right? <laughs> So it's falling flat still, right? But we're going to keep harping on that because that's the main takeaway. But before moving on from that, I wanted to go ahead and participate with God in bringing heaven to earth and just also to honor Jason for being back from his sabbatical for a few weeks and Jason give you a bag of Hebrews coffee beans. (laughs) So be blessed. (laughs) Yes, they're super nice. They sent me a second bag for free just because it was cool. They're probably Christians, which is awesome. We love that. Um, Mark, you want to come pray for me before I dive in? Right on, brother. Hi. I don't know why I grabbed the mic. I'm talking to God. (laughs) Lord, thank you so much for Clark. Thank you so much for um, his history with you, God. And thank you for his gifting of communication, and thank you for the revelation that you've poured into his heart. And we just say today, um, we're ready to hear your word through his mouth. Thank you, Lord, that your word through his mouth is, um, it just, it's just as powerful as reading the word, it's just as powerful as anything else, and so um We just want to be changed by your word today and the revelation of who you are and the fact that you're better. Jesus, you're better. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, sir. Well, as Jason mentioned, we are going to be continuing on through Hebrews chapter 2. And last week, I highly recommend you go listen to it. Mike gave us a really powerful message going through verses 1 through 4, which essentially just captured the importance of the message. You know, in the context of this book, it's written to Hebrew Christians who have such a rich context for the Old Testament and all that happened particularly in the early books through the Torah and through the Exodus and all that stuff. And it leaves us with this warning essentially that says, you know, if it's important that we pay attention to the message that came from the angels and the prophets about what's going to happen to the sin and death on this world, how much more important is it that we pay attention to a great salvation that comes directly from the Son of God? We need to pay attention to it unless we desire to drift away. And uh, one thing that stood out to me, and again, please go listen to it, because it's going to be really important. You can listen to that and then come back to this, because we're just going to stay in that lane. One thing that he said was that drifting is, it's the natural state of things unless you anchor yourself to Jesus. So we need to pay attention to this great salvation so that we don't just drift away into shadow, darkness, separation from God. All those things that none of us want, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> um, so with that, though, continuing in that lane of discovering why it's important that we don't drift away. The rest of this chapter is kind of expanding on what this great salvation is. Why do we need to cling to it? But what is this great salvation? And it's kind of building, I don't know if anyone here has read the book Case for Christ, but this is like the original Case for Christ is this chapter. So let's go ahead and dig into it. If you have your Bibles in front of you, go to Hebrews chapter 2. We're going to start from verse 5, and I think it's also going to be up on the slides. Thank you, Tim. Um, It's going to look a little different up here because uh, you guys have ESV in front of you, and this is NLT. So Don't be alarmed. I'm not uh, changing it for you. So verse five. Furthermore, it is not the angels who will control the future world we are talking about. But in one place, the scriptures say, what are mere mortals that you should think about them or a son of man that you should care for him? Yet for a little while, you made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You gave them authority over all things. Now, when it says all things, it means nothing is left out. But we haven't yet seen all things put under their authority. That's verses 5 through 8. Sorry, I got a little lost in my notes. (laughs) So starting off here, it's creating a context for why Jesus came. And I wish we could expand it because it's so rich, but this is going all the way back to Genesis chapters one and two and the creation of mankind with all of us being made in God's likeness and the things that God says to us is be fruitful, multiply, subdue the earth. You have authority over it. Everything in this garden I give to you freely, but I'm giving you authority. So if you didn't know... Since the foundation of time, God has always intended not just that we would look like him in his image, but that we would be his sons and daughters, that we would act as his inheritance and rule over the earth with him as our source of truth and good and evil, that we would just get to expand the kingdom, which is love and grace and kindness and expand God's presence throughout the earth and just get to enjoy creation with him. Obviously, things didn't turn out that way, right? As we know, Adam and Eve They fumbled the bag and made some bad decisions after being tempted by the devil. And we got to where we really needed a savior. But the good news is that in that moment when Adam and Eve are about to leave the garden after they took from the fruit of knowledge of good and evil, God says to them, hey, there's going to be a lot of suffering, but take heart because I'm bringing a savior. There's a savior that's coming and he's going to crush the head of the serpent that tempted you and he's going to deliver you and he's going to bring us back into right standing. So let's see here. This is essentially tackling our identity that we're his children and that we're made in his likeness. But the reason it's opening up with these references, these verses from the old Testament, it's actually quoting Psalm eight. And it's, if you've read Psalm eight before, the writer is exalting God for his splendid creation Like, it talks about how God made the moon and the earth and the stars and how wonderful his creation is, that God is the creator. So what is man that you would think of him and consider him? But then it also goes on to remind us that it's like, God hasn't subjected the earth to the angels. He hasn't subjected the earth to any power or any heavenly being. Instead, he's actually subjected it to us because that's his original intent, right? But because of the separation that happens at the garden, we're no longer in a place to be fit to inherit this, um, this inheritance from God to be able to co-rule with him unless there is a proper sacrifice, which, of course, is Jesus, right? So because we have Jesus now, though, we are in right standing with God. And so we're... Back into the garden, essentially. Back in the place that God has always wanted us, that we are now sons and daughters and children, and that we are in right standing with him, co heirs with Christ. But we don't see that, right? We don't necessarily see that physically before our eyes. That's why it says, we have not yet seen all things put under our authority. But going on to verse 9, it says, we do see Jesus who for a little while was given a position a little lower than the angels. And because he suffered death for us, he is now crowned with glory and honor. Yes, by God's grace, Jesus tasted death for everyone. God, for whom and through whom everything was made, chose to bring many children into glory, us. And it was only right that he should make Jesus through his suffering a perfect leader, fit to bring them into their salvation. So now, Jesus and the ones he makes holy have the same father. That is why Jesus isn't ashamed to call us his brothers and sisters. For he said to God, I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will bring, you among your, uh, I will bring your praises among your assembled people. Then he also says, I will put my trust in him, that's God, that is I and the children God has given me. So again, we haven't seen the world to come yet, which is the fullness of heaven and earth together, seeing our inheritance right before our very eyes that we're going to see when we're in heaven. But instead, what we actually get to see, which is even better than any of that, is our reward, who is Jesus. Jesus, again, if you remember what we talked about in Hebrews 1, he's the exact expression of the Father's heart. He's the creator of all things. All things were created through him. And on its own, he is worthy of our worship and our love and our adoration. But more so than that, he gets to be the expression of God's heart, which is love and forgiveness and redemption and reconciliation. It's telling us that how God always has been, how he is right now and how he's always going to be looks like Jesus. So wherever you see Jesus, we're seeing God, the father, God, the creator. So Jesus... Was made lower than the angels for a little while, made in our likeness, tempted and suffered just like us. And in bringing us, his sons and daughters, into glory, it was necessary to God that he would become the perfect captain of our salvation, not by simply being perfect and divine, but by sharing in our struggles and showing us his desire to walk through this with us with understanding. So I know there's a lot to take in because we're covering a lot of verses today. And there's so much I wish we could do like a good old like verse by verse breakdown of what's going on. But it's important to recognize this right here, that we have an identity and Christ came and he restored our identity. We're one with him and we have been placed in him. But the reason is how Jesus wins us over is he chose. It says in Philippians that he didn't consider equality to the father something to be taken hold of at the cost that we couldn't be there to enjoy it with him. So what he did is he sets aside his crown and he comes and he, sorry, I'm getting, I'm talking too much. My voice is getting dry. He comes and he makes himself in our likeness and he shares in our struggle. He shares in our sufferings. He shares in our temptations. But then he also goes ahead and he tastes death for all of us. And now he's crowned in glory and in honor, ruling over all because of what he's accomplished. And he's restored us to our right standing with God and he makes us his co-heirs. That's why he calls us his brothers and sisters and the children of God. So let that sink in while I drink some water. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Praise God. I said it the last time I spoke, I'll say it again. If you ever feel depressed, you just drink some water. The water is good. Not right now. (laughs) And in Jesus' name, never again. Amen. All right, all right. Let me see where we are. So what's, what's this great salvation that's happening right now? Jesus is showing us that he came to walk with us through our trials, our suffering. And because he's gone through this, he understands better than anyone what it's like to be a human. Yeah, he's 100% God, but he's 100% human, and he now understands our struggle, Right? Anything that you face in your life and you feel like nobody understands you, Jesus understands you. He's literally been tempted in all things. He knows what it's like to be starving. He knows what it's like to be thirsty. He knows what it's like to have back pain. He knows what it's like to have your friends walk out on you and betray you. He knows the whole run of the mill. He even knows death. Have any of you died yet? No, not yet. <laughs> and in, because of Jesus, never will. Ha! <laughs> Spoiler. <laughs> but this is the really cool thing is he didn't want to just show us that he understood. He also wanted to show us that it could be overcome. But more importantly, he didn't stop at, look, you can do this. Now you have to just follow my religious teachings and you can overcome the world and your your stuff, your bad habits. Instead, he says, I want to show you that I can overcome it, but I also want to just go ahead and overcome it for you. And I'm just going to set you up that as long as you choose me, the work is done. So it says in verses 14 and 15, because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human, only as a human being could he die. And only by dying could he break the power of the devil. The devil had the power of death. And only in this way could he set free all who lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. you remember a moment ago when I mentioned that when Adam and Eve, they fumbled the bag, God promises them a savior to come and crush the head of the serpent. This is the case that Jesus came and he is fulfilling that promise. So now death has been destroyed. And the idea behind this is like death is destroyed so that we have life forever in him. But also in this life right here, right now, we were all being governed by the fear of death. The fear of death is a tool of the enemy It's a tool of the enemy that has many different expressions. It could be anything from anxiety, insecurity, whatever it is, or it could be a genuine fear of dying. But Jesus has now defeated death, and he's removed the fear of dying that you are now released from any captivity and any bondage. That's really good news, right? Well, it keeps getting better. (laughs) He became flesh and blood, not just to emphasize and share in our struggles with us, but to face death for everyone, and in doing so, not just showing us that it can be overcome, but that he's overcome it for us. He fulfilled the promise of God way back from Genesis, that through a woman would come a Savior to crush that of the serpent, pay our debts, and release us from the curse of sin and death over humanity. And then now that death and the devil are conquered, the new has come. Through Christ's payment of death, we now get to live forever and with the fear of death gone, we're released from our bondage and captivity that this very fear kept us in. So going on to verses 16 and 17, I know we're moving fast through this all, but we got a lot of ground to cover and we're, we're nearing the what I really feel like God wants to share with us. So verse 16, we also know that the son did not come to help angels. He came to help the descendants of Abraham. Therefore, it was necessary for him to be made in every respect like us his brothers and sisters, so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. Then he could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the people. So Jesus, God for that matter, doesn't give aid like this to the angels or anyone else or anything else. But as his children made in his likeness and out of the compassion and love that he has for us, he specifically gives us this help, and delivers us from death. The work is completely done. Why has he done all this? Well, it's because he loves us. Because he wants us to choose him, and he wants to win us over through his great love that he first gave us before we ever loved him back. Pretty crazy. But not only that, one second again. I should have gotten hydrated
0: before I spoke.
1: Sorry, guys. In Jesus offering a sacrifice, he offered his own life. And for the context of the Hebrews, in all their history, there were always priests and people that would bring sacrifices to God on behalf of the people. But those priests themselves were imperfect people who had sin all over them, so they would have to offer a sacrifice for themselves and then for the people. Really inefficient system. But Jesus came and he gave his life once and for all so that all of our sins have been taken away. The work is totally and completely done because he loves us. That's a pretty great salvation, right? Doesn't that sound awesome? The creator of the universe, the exact expression of who God is, he who was before time and even invented time and invented you, He made a way that you have right standing with God, that your sins have been forgiven, that you don't have to fear death anymore, that you've been completely liberated from the throes of the world. Come on, somebody. This is a big deal. This is a really big deal, right? But there's a reason that we're all sitting here and being like, oh, okay. Why is that falling like a little like, numb to us. I mean, we've heard of it a million times, but it's always a big deal, and we need to hear this every day because this is truth. And this truth is better than anything that anyone could ever say on this world, right? But everything, this is why we can't ignore this great salvation. But let me tell you, the entire earth, the devil, the enemy, other people in your life, all the things your own fleshly desires are vying for your attention that you will neglect the salvation. But I, like, let me just put it this way. I think our greatest struggle, especially for our generation, is this idea. Live your truth. Live your truth. You do you. Live your best truth. Go on, bestie, live your truth. Like, we've all heard it. I've seen some of you post it, right? Like, I'm just being real. But the thing is, and that doesn't sound inherently bad, right? Because it has good intentions, The intentions are validation and affirmation that people would feel accepted, that no one would struggle and feel the comparison of religiosity or anything else in this world, that people would be able to define truth and, you know, just feel good about it. But this concept of live your truth is literally the oldest trick in the book from the enemy. This is what he said to Eve when he said, take from the tree, what's the big deal? God loves you. It's not like he's going to be mad at you. It's not like nothing bad's going to happen, right? He's so full of love. Because here's the thing, guys. It's important to understand that the devil, like he knows who God is, and he knows that God is unendingly loved, and he knows that he is unendingly faithful. But he'll try to distort that. And that's what he did to Eve. He got Eve to make a decision and say, yeah, I guess it's fine this one time. Um, and then through that, through eating that fruit, Adam and Eve were imbued with this immense supposed knowledge of good and evil, that they're now defining what good and evil is and they're living their truth. That's why they hid from God and hid from each other. God shows up and he's like, what's wrong with you being naked? You were naked for months. Why is it a problem now? Oh, because they're now defining that this is guilt. This is shame. This is bad. I shouldn't do this. Oh, also I should hide from God because I betrayed him. I'm now judging for myself that like, it is just for God to punish me and cast me out of this garden. Guys, I don't want to live my own truth. I would rather live Jesus's, and here's why. If I live my truth, one morning I'm going to wake up and I'm going to feel like, wow, God loves me. I feel like I'm king of the mountain. I have all my friends. My job is going great. Everything's awesome. I'm right where I should be. And then the next morning, I might very well, if I'm honest, just wake up feeling like nobody loves me. Nobody cares. I'm alone. And not only that, I'm so behind. I've never fulfilled anything. I can't follow through on anything. I guess I should just give up, leave it all behind and go home or worse. If I was living by my truth, my truth changes. Right? So it's like, live your truth sounds really good, but I want Jesus's truth because he describes himself as a rock and he describes himself as a rock for this reason. There's the parable of building a house on sand versus on the solid rock, right? But I got this picture as I was thinking through this. If you could just visualize it like this. There's a mountain made of sand and there's a mountain made of rock. If I'm trying to climb up this sand, the sand being a metaphor for my truth, think about, try to get to the top of this giant sand dune, right? you're grasping at stuff. It's something that seems like it's solid, right? But every time I grasp it, every time I try to lift myself up and hike up to it, the sand, it shifts, right? No matter how high I get up, I might even almost get to that peak. If the sand shifts just right, I'm going to slide all the way back down to the base, right? Because it's not sturdy. And maybe I got to the top of that sand dune after days and days of climbing that thing. But I bet you, I'm going to be so marred by what just happened and how long it took for me to get up there. I'm probably going to feel dehydrated, dry, crusty, and just like disenchanted by the whole thing that I don't even get to enjoy the view and the perspective shift. Versus climbing up a mountain, the foundation is stone and it's sturdy. There's places that I can grab onto things to hoist myself up. There's footholds that I can climb up. And every now and then, maybe I grab something like limestone, or sandstone, and it crumbles a little bit, but that's okay, because the rest of the foundation is still there, and even though something I tried to grab onto crumbles, I can just reposition myself, and I still have a sturdy foundation, and then by the time that I climb up to the peak, I spend about half as much time as I would have spent on that sand dune, and I get to enjoy the brand new perspective of knowing that I'm sitting planted on a solid rock, that this is my seat as I get to have my head above all the things that I've gone through and come up from. That's why I don't want to live my truth. If Jesus' truth is that solid rock, I want that. It sounds so much better to climb up that mountain than to try to climb up this giant sand dune for days and days and just be dehydrated and defeated. So going on to the very last verse, clinging to God's truth, a lot of times, if we're frank, guys, it's okay to accept and recognize our own humanness. Sometimes, it's hard, right? One of the temptations is to live that truth. One of those temptations, even if it's not out of a heart of like going with that whole mindset, some days you're going to wake up and you're going to be convinced that all these bad things are true about you, all these negative things, and you're going to be deciding for yourself what's just about your life and what you deserve, right? That's going to happen sometimes. And we're each and every one of us tempted to do this. Jesus Himself was tempted to do this. When he was in the desert, the devil was tempting him to say, forget what God promised you. You are God. Just redefine the whole thing. Take over. But Jesus instead, what does Jesus do in his response? He quotes the scriptures immediately. He quotes the word of God because he knows that this is a solid foundation. I don't want this to change. And if it changes, that's just not good. That's the important thing about Jesus is that he doesn't change. His truth, it never, ever changes. Everything else, every other faith in this world has changed multiple times. Christianity is the only one that hasn't. It's seen some evolution, right? It's seen some evolution with translations and certain understandings and interpretations, but the foundations of the gospel has never, ever changed. And that's important. But when we're tempted, guys, when we're tempted to drift and to just forget whether it's intentional or not, the good news is that, Since he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted as well. He helps us when we struggle because he both understands better than any of us while also having overcome everything. But not only overcoming everything, but also providing us access to his victory. We don't have to do anything other than just say, Jesus, help me. That's all you need to do, guys. If there's only one thing that you ever have to do in your relationship with God, it's just to slow down, take a moment, try to look to him, and even if it feels like it falls flat the first time, just say, Jesus, help me. Because there is a promise here that he will, and there's a promise that he is your propitiation, he is your access, and he is your help and your savior. And if I end up being wrong, whatever. I lived a good life feeling pretty good about God loving me, you know? But it's like, it's just to say, it's like really, you can really trust this. The reason Jesus goes through all of this is he's proving a case to say, you can trust me because I understand. He wanted to build a case that he could could prove that he was trustworthy. So you don't have to do anything other than just say, Jesus, help me. But I really encourage you, don't neglect this salvation. Don't neglect it because it is great and it's good news. It's not something for you to strive towards. It's something that's been given to you. You just have to decide. Like God gave you free will. And one of the ways that you were made like him is he empowered you the ability to make your own decision. All you have to do is just decide, do I want this great salvation or not? It's all totally within your power as an individual to decide that but just know that it is a really good and great salvation. So as a last bit, kind of sort of as like a brief benediction, I'm going to pass the mic to Jason. Some of us feel like we need help, right? Some of us could use an encouragement. So I've been in this, I've been going through a lot of stuff the last few months and it's been really gnarly and God loves to speak to me to the Psalm. So I just want to share this with you guys and impart this to you. Psalm 46, we're just going to read the first half. God is our refuge and strength. He's a very present help in times of trouble. So because of that, we will not fear. Even though the earth be removed and the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling, because there is a river whose streams shall make glad the city of God the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. Guys, that's us. We're the tabernacle of the Most High. Anyone who's received and professed the salvation of Jesus has been marked with the down payment of God's Holy Spirit. He lives inside of you, making you the tabernacle of the Most High. And God has a river of streams that he wants to make you glad with. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her just at the break of dawn. The nations raged, the kingdoms were moved, but he uttered his voice and the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. He is a very present help in times of trouble. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I forgot to share this before I started speaking because I got so anxious and was so fired up. But... I was asking God all morning just what he wanted to share, and I felt like he wanted to emphasize the importance of his passionate love for you. And then again, as I was sitting here during worship, I felt like God highlighted that there's at least one person here who needs to know you came in here, and you wanted your life changed, and God wants to change your life. You don't, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand or anything. If that's you, though, feel free to come up, and I can pray with you during worship when we get back into that or at the end of service, but just know that like God is here and he's a present help in times of trouble. And anyone who came in here, who's like, I need my life changed by Jesus. Maybe you've already been a Christian. Maybe you're not even worried about having drifted, but you just need something fresh because you've been in a place of stalemate. God wants to change your life with that river and that stream that wants to make you glad. He wants to make you glad and give you life. Don't ignore this great salvation. It's a gift to you. It's a gift to you to deliver you from all the things that you've had to face in your life by a Savior who understands you. So thank you, Jesus.
0: Amen? All right. Thank you, Clark. That was so good. So good, so good. Wow. So let's just say a few things. I don't want to send this somewhere else. That was beautiful. It's just good. It's good to be reminded, right? It's good to hear God just remind you over and over of the same things. A good parent will continue to remind their child of something. You know, you won't just say it once, I love you once. You'll say it over and over and over so they get it. And when it comes to the good news, because that's what we're hearing, the gospel, this great salvation, it's not enough that you heard it on a Sunday. It's not enough you heard it last week. It's something that you have to preach to yourself and remind yourself of this great salvation. It's the only time in all of scripture that he actually uses the word. This is a great salvation. This isn't just something to be like, ah, this is something that's like a gem this is something that we get to, as a family, as a people of God, get to look at over and over and over. Jesus called the royal diadem. It means you see him one way, like, whoa, you see him again, you're like, yeah, wow. You know, it's like you never get, like, oh, I got Jesus down, it's cool. You know, it's like the song we were singing, right? Like, fire in his eyes. What's, it, what's the lyrics on this thing? Wool, gold, all sorts of good stuff. Basically describing his appearance out of the book of Revelation. That song is very biblical, and so it just it just speaks to your heart. You know, we're coming to the end of the year. Who's on Spotify? I know this generation's on Spotify. Okay, all right, all seven of us. Anyway, like Cleric was saying, they don't really talk much. Um, so you get your end of the year right stats. You know who you listen to the most. What what's up? All that stuff. Um, but Psalms forty six, bro, pro I know when I get to heaven, Psalms 46 is going to have my Spotify stats, you know, my, my scripture stats. Like when this church collapsed in 07 and I stepped in as lead pastor, I, I thank God to this day as much as any scripture that God gave me Psalm 46 because I camped in those scriptures, I put deep roots down. I prayed and read and reread. You know, you start reading those. I didn't even go there. I was starting to get a little emotional because they'll take me right back to how God rescued me, God saved me, God preserved me, God reminded me over and over certain truths out of Psalms 46 where everything was shaking, he wasn't shaking. And there's a river that makes glad the city of God, the holy dwelling places. Like there's a river. And I just want to encourage you guys, we are building trust with God. We're building history with this man. He doesn't waste any trial, any challenging thing. He intentionally sometimes sets us up so we were actually overcome the enemy. Just like he did with the Israelites. He put giants in the land, but he knew they were called to overcome the giants that they were going to face. So he empowers you to overcome whatever you're facing today and whatever is coming in the future. And if you look at verse, uh, I believe it is 13, Jesus is saying, and this is the Jesus that walked the earth, fully human, yes, fully God, but he emptied itself of his, like, you know, God, and he just, he operated from the place of humanity. And he said, of Jesus, I will put my trust in him. Behold, I and the children you have given me. Do you hear this? We are the children that are given to the Father. We are learning to put our trust in God. And if you don't know, the word salvation, it's the word sozo out of the Greek. It means saved, healed, delivered, made whole. It is a full word. And this world will offer you, I will try to save you, deliver you, make you whole, you know, live out your best truth. Like, there's all these messages coming down the pipeline. Where are you going to find your salvation? Is it in a man? Is it in a person? Is it in a savior? Is his name Jesus? And we have to ask ourselves, where are we looking for our salvation? What are we trusting in? What are we reaching for? What are we asking God's help Or are we even asking, help me, God? You know that's the most anointed prayer, right? Oh, you're like, I don't know how to pray. Man, Clark just taught you how to pray. He was Jesus for you today. Man, this crowd is hard. Um, You know, it's the only thing in all Scripture, guys, that disciples ask Jesus, teach us to pray. But a great prayer is, God, help me. God, help me. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Did you hear that? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he'll make the path straight. That's the call, guys. That's the the call of God on your life. That's the call of God on my life. Will we lean into him? Will we trust him? Will we learn to walk into the unknown with him? Abraham was called out to a place not knowing where he was going to receive an inheritance. So I talks about Abraham. He's the father of our faith. He's the one God came to and he began a new nation. And now we've been grafted into this, you know. This is a long history of people who have walked before us. But learning to walk with God is a lot of learning to trust and walking into unknowns. Oh, we got a runner. We got a runner. (laughs) She didn't want to walk uh, into the known with Dad. She's coming into the unknown. (laughs) Good times. I felt when Clark, you know, I don't want to share too much here. um, But I felt when Clark was sharing... um, that I was called to just remind you guys that we get to go before dad with confidence. It doesn't matter where you've been today. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter if this is the first time you even thought of God all week. You're here. God's here. You, we, we, we think we lose ground with God because of our life or our choices or stuff. The only thing that happens is we moved. Do you know that? God never moved. You moved. Does this make sense? So one of the best things you can do is just acknowledge him. Recognize that he's right here right now, arms are open wide. Draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. You know, and and if we we're going to get there, but I'm going there right now, but in Hebrews 4 You know, and this is tying into kind of what Clark was saying about this great salvation, about the sacrifice that Jesus made. It says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. Did somebody hear that? He's not a God like, get your crap together. He's a God who sympathizes with weakness. But one who's been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. And here's the kicker, guys. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, that you might receive mercy, no punishment, and may find grace, empowerment, in time of need. The call, the invitation, if you want to say, is to draw near with confidence to the throne of grace that Jesus paid it all, the veil's been torn from top to bottom, you have access to the Father today. And one of the best gifts, like I told you, that you can get back to God is your trust. You're just giving it back. It's a gift. It's like, here it is, God. I trust that my voice matters, that you hear me, that you respond, and that you want to commune with me right now. You want relationship with me. So let's just stand, if we would. And if the worship team can come up. Also, I think we're going to do ministry today. Is this true? JB House is praying? That's awesome. So here's the promise, guys. There is no separation right now for those who are in Christ Jesus. That everything's been paid for in full. Your sins have been Fully forgiven, white as snow. Just allow yourself right now. Just open your heart. Just close your eyes. Open your heart, please. Just allow God right now. Just allow him in that sweet place. He's for you. He's never against you. I'm not going to read it because it's too long, but in 2 Peter, it goes through all these this list, this long list. It says... Apply diligence to your faith, moral excellence, knowledge, self-control, brotherly kindness. It adds and it adds and it adds. And then it says these, For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgot their purification from their former sins. Sometimes, guys, we forget, we forget, we forget. We forget of what God's done. We forget history with him. We forget the one-time sacrifice. We forget that we can approach a dad not a throne of judgment, but of grace. Find mercy and help in time of need. So, Father, we just say remind us today as a family, God. Remind us today. Remind us of our history. God, remind us of times you've rescued us. Remind us of times, God, we wanted nothing to do with you, but you pursued us. God, remind us when we felt like we didn't deserve that forgiveness, but you gave it, and you gave it, and you gave it, and you gave it. One of the greatest lies in the church, across the board, capital C, is there's separation between you and God. And you got to work your way back into that place. That is a lie from hell. There's no separation today. There's no separation. There's no mountain to climb. There's no sacrifice to offer. Father, I ask that you would make us a church that knows how to receive. Receive mercy, receive grace in time of need. That we would see you as a God who sympathizes with weakness, not one who's holding a clipboard, making sure we've checked it all off, got all our act together. Jesus, we celebrate that you had your act together (laughs) and you paid that ultimate price. You gave up your life so we would have it. Bible actually says, guys, he became poor so you could become rich. Like he literally laid it all down so you can have the inheritance of heaven. What Clark was saying, restoration, back to the garden, guys, back to intimacy, back to communion, back to not walking in the fear of God like he's going to punish you or hit you. But this is a father that loves you, that wants to do life with you. Bible says he's the lifter of your head. He's the keeper of your salvation. It's okay, too, you know. You don't, I'm, you don't get to get into semantics, but you're not going to get me asking God for forgiveness. But I'll say sorry. I'll say sorry for sure. But it's okay to tell God, I'm sorry if you've drifted today. If you're like, you know, God, I'm sorry. I've drifted, I've chosen other lovers, I've let my heart go other places. I really feel there's a few of you right now that you're being restored. David said in Psalm 51, that was the psalm that he, he absolutely blew it, cheated on his wife, this gal, ended up killing her husband so he could have her, and it was just bad, it was bad all around. But he said, restore to me, God, the joy of my salvation, sustain in me a willing spirit. And I just want to tell you, God's restoring your joy. He's restoring your joy right now. He's the one who's putting the willing spirit in you. This isn't about you getting stronger. This is about you getting weaker. This is about you getting more just at a place of, I need you, God. Help me, God. Dependence on God. This isn't about having your ducks in a row. This is about trusting a God who's got it all. Who's got it all in a row. He's got it all figured out. We're children. I mean, how sad if my little eight-year-old or five-year-old is trying to figure all life out. I just want them to trust me. Just trust Dad. He loves you. He'll provide for you. He'll take care of you. So as a gift right now, whatever that looks like, I'm just going to sit, but let's just offer God back our trust whatever is there, it doesn't even matter. You may, trust is something that grows. So even if it's a little, it's the whole prayer, God, I believe, but help my unbelief. But God, I just, I trust you. And he may even show you areas where there's a lack of trust. And then you get to say, God, then help me. (laughs) You give me faith. You give me trust in this area.